The scripture reading this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 8, verses 4 to 15. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, They are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, First, just want to say... Uh, my name is Greg. You can just call me Greg. Jeremy was calling me Pastor Greg to, to be helpful for uh, people to determine, I guess, who I am uh, in comparison to all the other Gregs that's at, that are at our church. But you can just call me Greg. Anyway. Throughout human history, the telling of stories has been the way that cultures and families have passed deep truth and core values from one generation to the next. We see this in literally every culture. I know when I pause to think of what kind of cultures and traditions uh, to me seem to have, you know, really deep insights and wisdom, they tend to be cultures known for their storytelling rather than cultures known for writing a good essay. Now, don't get me wrong. I like a good academic essay, just, you know, like the next person does. But it can take dozens, sometimes hundreds of essay pages to mine the depths of beauty and truth that can be conveyed in a short story. Now think about the probably millions of pages in thousands of essays that are written about, say, Edgar Allan Poe's The Telltale Heart, um, or, you know, Simpsons episodes, of course, that refer to it as well. Or Charlotte Perkin Gilman's The Yellow Wallpaper. 
And this, which is, if you don't know that one, it's an amazing story, which is essentially about how the patriarchy drives women insane, uh, written back in 1892. This is simply how human beings are drawn into deep reflection and to experience the wonders and uh, of the wonders of life and reality. Um, stories convey meaning, truth beyond fact, morality, wisdom. They can lift up hearts and they can lighten our spirits, or they can undermine powers that be. Critiquing social norms and corruption in leaders and systems, freeing minds and leading to uprisings against oppression. This is the power of story. And so it is no wonder that so much of our Bible uh, is story. It's like God somehow knew the best way to convey truth to us. <laughs> if, if I could use an emoji, it would be a winky face because that was sarcasm. Of course, God knows the best way is to convey truth to us. So Jesus himself, of course, being God, he used stories to teach his followers about the depths of truth in his message about the kingdom of God. And now many of these stories are a type of story, like Jeremy told us, it's a type of story called a parable. And if you're with us over the next few weeks, you're going to hear that word a lot. Just as it takes thousands of essay pages to mine the depths of a story like the yellow wallpaper, so it will take thousands of sermon hours to talk about Jesus' parables. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't worry. We're not going to cover all of them or spend thousands of sermon hours on this. But the simplest way to think about a what a parable is, as Jeremy said, is simply that it is a story. Or more truly, it is simply a simple story story. A simple story that is meant to stir up a response in the person who is hearing it. And it causes the listener to see things in a different way. Oftentimes, when people think about Jesus's parables, they think about them as stories that are told for a moral lesson. But this is not really the case. Now, some of them may, and, but not all of them do. Jesus's parables aren't like, you know, Grimm's fairy tales. You know, like Hansel and Gretel is a moral lesson teaching us not to trust strangers, no matter how luring the candy. Although they may, although Jesus' parables do always have meaning, and they always have an implication for how we live, they cannot be minimized simply to moral lessons. They are not just moral stories that tell you one little snippet of ways to be good little boys and children. Boys and children, boys and girls, children, adults, whatever. Another common misunderstanding about Jesus' parables is the idea that they are all allegories. Now, allegories, if you don't know, they are stories where everything in them are symbols of something else. So everything in an allegory uh, is actually meant to represent something different than itself. For example, a really famous allegory is the story of is John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress. And this is a story about a man named Christian who goes on a journey to a city that's called a celestial city. And throughout the journey, every person he meets, everything he does symbolizes something else. 
So Christian is a symbol for all Christians. The journey that Christian is on is to be a symbol for life, the life that we all live. Christian has to carry a heavy burden. And the heavy burden that he carries is meant to be a symbol for our sin. And the celestial city is meant to be a symbol for heaven. And on and on. Most of Jesus' parables, however, they're not allegories. They aren't meant to be that every little detail is a hidden symbol of something else. Most of them are meant to be that the listeners would just kind of hear one thing from them, not pick them apart and look at little, each little different word and what it might mean and how it might mean something different. Now, of course, what makes this confusing is that the parable that Dale read for us in this parable, when Jesus says the meaning of the parable, he then does go on to point out how the different parts of the story are meant to symbolize something else. And so because of the allegorical nature of this parable, many people then think, well, all of the parables are allegories because this is Jesus telling us how to interpret them. And then we look for symbolic hidden meaning in every detail of the parables. But this is actually not true of the parables, most of the time approaching the parables this way will actually cause us to confuse and make the parables more perplexing than they are meant to be. And so we can breathe a sigh of relief reading the parables to go, we're not supposed to try to find all these little hidden things. What we're supposed to do is to read it and to see how it makes us respond and to feel. Adding, though, to the confusion, we have this hard-to-understand passage where, you know, speaking about the parables, Jesus says, uh, Luke 8.10, I flipped to the wrong page, of course. He says, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that seeing they may not see, hearing they may not understand. Now, on first glance, it sounds like Jesus is saying, I'm going to use these parables, these stories, intentionally so that people won't actually have a clue what I'm talking about. It's my plan that they will not understand me. I didn't actually come for everyone, but I only came for the people who have the secret key that will unlock the mysteries of my secret codes. And the only way to get the secret is to read that book from the Oprah Winfrey book club that will give you the clues to unlock all the secrets of the universe, right? Jesus sounds like, well, he sounds kind of terrible, actually. He's, he's high, intentionally hiding things from people who aren't good at puzzles. But it's what it sounds like. But that isn't actually the case. I would say, and I believe, that Jesus came to give opportunity that all shall be saved he came for all people and all of creation, and it is God's desire that all shall come to know God through Jesus. And so to understand what Jesus is saying here in this mysterious verse, it helps us to look back on where these words are originally from. When Jesus says, though seeing they may not see and though hearing they may not understand, he's actually quoting from a famous, uh, well, in Jewish times, a famous a prophet named Isaiah. The part of the book, did I say in Jewish times? 
That's terrible. We're still in Jewish times because the Jews are still, you know. Anyway, back in uh, first century Palestine. Sorry about that. The part of the book, anyway, this, in this Isaiah, this prophet, uh, it's in our Old Testament. And the part of the book that Jesus is quoting actually comes from a time when God's people were so unfaithful to God and they had broken all of their promises to God. And so God sent Isaiah to warn them that because of their sin, because they broke all of their promises and continued to do so for literally centuries, other nations were going to come and were going to drag them away into exile. And the story of when God calls Isaiah to be his prophet is in Isaiah 6. And uh, in Isaiah 6, of course, I didn't mark uh, where that is. Let's see if I can find it in my Bible quickly. Just kidding. Sword drill. Does anyone remember sword drills? It was a time when you shouted out a verse and you had to hold up your Bible if you got it first. Isaiah 6, verse 8. Isaiah is a long book, so if you open up to like chapter 40, you're going to have lots of flipping to get to 6. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And as I said, and as I said, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. God said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing but never understanding, Be ever seeing but never perceiving, Make the heart of this people calloused, make their eyes dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their hearts, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, for how long, Lord? I love it. That's my favorite. So God says, who's going to go for us? And Isaiah goes, here I am. Here I am. Send me. God goes, okay, great. BT dubs. No one's going to actually listen to you. Their hearts are so hard and your words are going to go in their ears, but they're not actually going to hear them. They will witness things with their eyes, but they're not going to actually see it. Their minds and their hearts aren't actually going to make, it's not going to make any difference to them because they are so hardened and calloused and closed-minded. So they aren't going to listen to a word that you say. And Isaiah's like, uh, okay, so exactly how long do I have to do this? It's my favorite. It's such a human response, right? Uh, how long? I feel bad for Isaiah, but he had such an important, uh, important role in the Bible. Uh, Gordon King, he's a Canadian uh, who is part of our family of churches, and he writes in his book called Seed, on, Seed Falling on Good Soil. And he writes that what is happening in Isaiah 6 is that Isaiah was warned that his message would be rejected by people who willfully chose to be blind and deaf to God's word. And this is the case for the, there's five places in the New Testament where they quote this exact same verse. It's not just this one we read in Luke. And where the same verse is quoted, it's in the same context as Isaiah it is not about Jesus using secret codes so that people won't believe in him. It is not about Jesus deciding who's in and who's out based on their capacity for mind puzzles. I mean, thank goodness for that. I'd be toast if that was the case. It is about the people's willful hardness of heart. That they have willfully chosen to be blind and to be deaf to God's word. They've already made up their minds and set their hearts. They are so closed to seeing and hearing Jesus' good news, the message of the kingdom of God. Now, in all fairness, Jesus' message of the kingdom of God is understandingly 
puzzling. It is mysterious. This word that we see here for secrets is actually, I think, better translated as mystery. We see it in, in all of the, a lot of the New Testament writings. It actually means, is translated as mystery. So not a, a, hit, a secret, but something that is hard for the human mind to comprehend. Something that is mysterious. And Jesus' message about the kingdom is mysterious and puzzling. I mean, in the first century Palestine, the Jewish expectation, and I would say even our wrongful expectations today, is that God's kingdom was going to come by might. It was going to come by military might or by roaring lions tearing apart their enemies. They thought that God was going to win the battle and destroy their enemies. But as we'll see over the next few weeks, Jesus' message of the kingdom is about loving your enemies. It is about dying to self, giving away power, where the last is the first and the first is the last. And so when we hear Jesus' parables with our minds and our human expectations and our hearts set on a kingdom of power, where we get power, we get wealth, we get might, his parables are confounding. They're confusing. They're puzzling. They don't make any sense And so we have a choice. We have a choice to hear, but to not really hear. Or to have open and soft hearts that are able to truly hear the wisdom of God. Wisdom which human reasoning and rationality would say is ridiculous and wasteful and nonsensical. Now speaking of ridiculous, has anyone been able to find where Jesus is on the platform? (laughs) Some people might think it's sacrilegious, but it's, I think it's just kind of funny. There's a little tiny, he's about this big. And if you can't find Jesus on the platform, uh, remember Jeremy's uh, hint was Matthew 4, verse 3. I'm going to give you another hint, and it's John 8, verse 12. John 8, verse 12, if you can't find it. It's, like, it's literally like Jesus is this, this, can you even see how big that is? He's literally like this big. So good luck on that. Right, so Jesus is, human reasoning would say that Jesus' message is ridiculous and wasteful and nonsensical. So let me show you what I mean by this. Let's read the parable from Luke 8 again. And one thing to notice as we do this is that Jesus actually gives two versions of the parable. They aren't the same. And Gordon King uses the phrase, the first telling and the second telling, to highlight that there are significant differences between the two, though obviously they're related. But part of the reason for the different telling is that the first telling, in Luke 8, 5-8, it's told to this large crowd of people, the general population, which would have been mostly poor Palestinian Jews. It's also important for us to pay attention to the context. In Luke 5, a couple chapters before, verse 31, Jesus says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And then he goes on for chapters 5 and 7, and he shows us exactly who he is calling to himself. And it is not the kinds of people that a king would usually call to themselves. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. And it's definitely not the type of people that the Jews would think are worth calling, especially the Messiah, the King. Jesus calls the rejects. 
people that the Jews would have considered unclean or unworthy, the lowest of the population, the bottom of the barrel in their minds, the bottom of the barrel kinds of people, Wid widows, paralytics, Roman centurions, tax collectors, prostitutes, women who have been possessed by demons, I mean, women in general, these are people who the Jews would have written off as either unworthy or at least as a lesser class human. And Luke 5 and 7 shows Jesus drawing these people to himself. These are the people to whom God is calling. And it is into this context that Jesus says, Luke 8, 5 to 8. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Now, one sec. Hold on. A sower went to sow seeds in the field, and he was scattering the seed on the path? So immediately, many of us Trontoians, we wouldn't have picked this up, right? This just seems kind of nice. Oh, here's a like, nice little story. Okay, he's putting it on the path, and then he's going to put it on some rocky ground. But this story doesn't make any sense. We didn't even get past the first line. So remember, this is a poor Palestinian farmer who would have known every square inch of his land. Every square inch. He would have known every rock and every piece of soil. He would have known exactly where seed would grow and where it wouldn't. Not to mention the fact that he could not afford to waste any seeds. His family and his community were dependent on these seeds growing food. They could, not, they could starve if he wasted seeds. And yet here is a farmer who's throwing seeds on the path. Everyone who would have heard this story would have immediately thought, this guy is a really bad farmer. He's putting our whole, the whole community in danger. Like, as soon as Jesus started talking, there was a sword and he threw seeds on the path. They're like, this farmer is a terrible farmer. And yet, here he is. And this is Jesus trying to tell us what the kingdom of God is like. So I'll go on. A farmer went out to throw, sow his seeds, and he was scattering his seed. Some fell along the path. <laughs> Come on. It tramp of course, it was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. He threw it on rock. What's with this guy? And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Okay, like surprise, surprise. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and it choked the plants. <laughs> no duh. Still other seed fell on good soil. Okay, finally. And it came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than it was sown. Wait, a hundred times? The good seed yield a crop of a hundred times more. Everyone knows that the average yield of a seed under the perfect conditions would have been four to five times. Now a crop of seven times would have been mind-alteringly good crop. But a hundred times? Now to us, we're like, okay, did I, I didn't know a, a seed would four to five times was natural and normal. But the original hearers would have known this. This farmer throws his seeds everywhere, regardless of the fact that the seeds won't grow in most of the places. So most of the seeds, he's wasted it. And what's more, somehow the seeds that fall on the good soil, they grow 20 times more than any crop that anyone has ever seen. This story is ridiculous. It is wasteful. 
It is nonsensical and it goes against all human reasoning. But this is a picture of God as the sower and the message about the kingdom of God as the seeds. I just also like to point out when it says here the word, it was God's word, it's not actually talking about the Bible. A lot of us like to use the word, we say this is the word and, and it is part of the word. But when the Bible uses the word, word, it is actually referring to that which God speaks, which comes to be true. So the Bible is part of God's word, but it doesn't just mean the Bible. It means what God says, what God does. Uh, and so Jesus is the word of the kingdom of God, is, is what is spoken of the kingdom of God, which is happening and which will come true. Jesus doesn't just sow the message of the kingdom where he knows that it will grow. Just like Isaiah who is sent to bring the message to ears that won't hear, God spreads the seeds of the kingdom everywhere to everyone regardless of if they're willing to hear or if they have already hardened their hearts. God's seed is spread so that to those places and those people who in our human wisdom would say they're not worth the effort. It's not worth throwing your, the seeds onto, onto those areas. Ironically, of course, in Jesus' ministry, who is not worth, who is not going to actually grow good plants, who isn't worth putting the seeds on because they won't survive, is actually flipped. In Jesus' ministry, it's the people who humans have cast off as unworthy, as not worth the effort. It is actually these people who turn out to be the good soil where the seeds of the kingdom grow a hundredfold. In Jesus' time, the Jewish leaders were the ones with the hardened hearts. They were the pathway that the enemy would come and steal the word of the kingdom. And is the ones who human thinking would say are the good soil as I said, that are worth investing in. They're the ones who turn out to be hardened of heart, who do not welcome the word of the kingdom. The first telling of this parable to the crowds is about God's kingdom is extravagant. It is excessive. It is seemingly wasteful and irrational. And we're going to see that as a theme in pretty much all of the uh, parables. But somehow this kingdom, which is extravagant and wasteful, is somehow divinely fruitful. And the very ones who think they are the insiders turn out to be the ones with hardened hearts who are not able to hear and receive the good news of the kingdom of God. This is a message for me and I think for us. That when we think we are insiders and we harden our hearts and we've decided we're so sure that we're the ones who are not able to receive and hear and, and be fruitful. It's the good news of the kingdom. The second telling of this parable, Jesus tells, us, tells those who have already committed to following him. So the first one, the first telling, he tells just a random crowd, right? Anyone who happens to be there. This second telling, he is telling just to people who have already committed to following him who somehow have already shown an openness to hearing. Interestingly enough, this telling now isn't about the one who sows seeds. There's actually no mention of the sower in this second telling. 
But now this telling is about those in whom the seeds can grow. It moves from being about the sower, who is, I think is God, to being uh, those uh, who receive the seeds. So let's read this uh, together. It's verse 11. Jesus says, This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they will fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries and riches and pleasures, and they don't mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble, noble essentially kind of means honest. Good seed stands for those with noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. The first telling is about the extravagant work of God, the sower, inviting all who have ears to hear into the fullness and into the fruitfulness of the kingdom. And the second telling is about the choices that those who follow Jesus, the disciples, it's about the choices that they and we can make. We can choose to be hardened of heart and closed-minded and allow the seeds of the kingdom to be snatched away from us. We can choose to be rocky ground where we find joy in hearing the words of Jesus, but we keep it just on surface level, and we don't allow it to actually take root in our hearts or cause any meaningful change. And so then, when hardship comes, we'll lose our grounding and we'll fall away. We can choose to focus our hearts on worries, on pleasure, on money, but they will tear away at us like walking through a raspberry patch. Thorns tearing at our clothes and at ourselves until there is nothing left. Or we can choose to invite the Spirit of God to soften our hearts. To open our ears and our eyes to see the beautiful mysteries of the kingdom of God. Where the last is the first and the first is the last. The humble is exalted. Those who are completely sure of themselves find that they really have no idea what they're talking about. And where the worthless in the eyes of the world are the ones who bear the fruitfulness of the kingdom of God. Paul writes, uh, he's one of Jesus' followers who wrote a bunch of books in the New Testament. He writes in a book called 1 Corinthians Verse 2, he writes, What no eye has seen and what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived. The things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things that God reveals to us by his spirit. Jesus desires us for us to see him and to know him. We do not need a secret code to unlock the mysteries of God. We do not need to be good at puzzles. We simply need the Spirit of God to dwell in and amongst us, to help us open our hearts and our minds to see and to hear the inconceivable, extravagant love of God. That with honest and good hearts, hearing, receiving, and persevering, the gracious sower would grow in unfathomable fruitness the kingdom of God within 
and amongst and through us. Let's pray. And we're going to pray uh, part of this prayer in the words of uh, a Jesuit uh, named St. Cloud. Jesus, give us new hearts, tender hearts, sensitive hearts, to replace hearts that are made of marble and of bronze. Give us your own heart, Jesus, that we may hear and see and know you in the ways of your kingdom. And that we may see the fruitfulness of your word growing in us and growing others around us. Amen.